Good morning, everybody. Hey, Tom. My name's Tim, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. Uh, I haven't been in a pulpit in a couple of weeks. I appreciate Mike uh, taking care of uh, one of the values around here, and that's maturity. And I hope we take it uh, seriously. Next year, we've got lots of plans on helping our members mature, and we're looking forward to revealing those uh, shortly. Uh, I've got a couple of things just to say before we get into the last two weeks of this series. Uh, first of all, I appreciate uh, Danny and Bob uh, joining me yesterday as we uh, tackled the bush, the bushes. Man, they were a mess, and so we just went after them with vengeance. I'm hacking away on the on the uh, uh, what do you call them, the fire bushes, uh, and they looked like the Charlie Brown. I was, I'm humming, la, 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 and I'm just hacking away. I've been told they're indestructible. Let's pray that that's true. But thank you, uh, Danny and Bob, for uh, helping out yesterday. And I want to thank Brian Alford as well. We've been putting, we're having floodlights this year around the building. We've got these LED lights that put out 16 million different color combinations. And so um, I'm not going to sit around and count them, but I'll take its word for it. But he's setting these up, and, and uh, it's trying to trying to get things festive and ready for Christmas. Uh, again, everybody that's working the stage, I was Mike, Danius, and I were looking at the from the back, and I go, "It's Christmas time!" And and Sue and uh, Nathan and Chuck and all you guys and ladies that helped, thank you for decorating. We're going to have a great time on Christmas Eve with this candlelight service at 6 p.m. We won't be meeting in the morning. We'll be meeting in the evening at 6 p.m. And I uh, hope you all can join us. It's going to be a great time. Kids are going to be singing, and uh, we're going to have a great, great time. Also, would you mark your calendar for the 7th of January? It's in your bulletin. We're having a, this year is here on the 7th, and we're going to be having a brunch beginning at 10 a.m., and we'll worship together, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, 2023 and what's going on, going to happen in 2024. Looking forward to doing that. That'll be uh, on January 7th. Now, like I said before, we've got two weeks till Christmas, and so we're wrapping up this series on uh, This Is Us. We've been looking at what uh, what kind of church does Jesus want? We are very interested as believers at Greater Alton in, in building this church that Jesus wants. Lots of different People have different ideas of what the church ought to be. Lots of church growth books, lots of place, lot of opinions. I know you've got an opinion, I've got an opinion, but what does Jesus want is really what we're after. We really want to do, we really want to be a church like that. Well, what kind of church matters to him? What is the, what's the values? What are the things that he wants? And if you remember, as we review here up on the screen, the first thing is that Jesus wants his church to worship him. He wants it, he wants it to be obvious who's first. He wants it, wants it to be obvious uh, what matters uh, in our everyday life by our worship of Jesus Christ. He wants to make that obvious. The second thing is he wants his church to be a family. Not a perfect family, because <laughs> he didn't have a perfect one. And uh, his family's still not perfect. We're not, we're not after being a perfect church, but we are trying to be a church the way Jesus would imagine and want it to be the kind of church he dreams of. Uh, in other words, he isn't interested in us being a guest. He's not, settle, he's not settling for you to being a visitor or even an attender, but he wants you to be this active member of a family. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but you know, every Christmas when we get together, sometimes the family gets together and there might be one or two people. We may not see them all year. And we think, man, you know, uh, I wish we could see each other more. Why? Because we're family. And, and it's about being involved and helping one another. And so Jesus lifts up this idea of being an active member in his family. That's what a member here at Greater Alton is really about. If you're not active, you're not a member of this church. A second thing, a third thing is that Jesus wants his church to be servants. He wants us to be, have a life of service. I'm not here to go through motions. I want you to think about that. We're not together as a church to sit in rows and sing, pray together, hear some Bible, and that's it. Now, he wants us to be an army of servants. He wants us uh, to serve outside these walls. You and I were, are made to be ministers. We're saved to serve. So the two big questions a lot of times, or two big questions that we have in the Bible when you look at the book of Acts and you look at the New Testament are, what do I do to be saved? And then after I'm saved, what do I do now? Those are the two big questions that uh, we need to answer in our lives. And then we looked at, uh, and Mike looked at this uh, the last couple of weeks. He wants his church to be mature. He wants people to change. He doesn't want me to stay the same. He wants me to grow and mature into, his, into the Lord's likeness. And church, listen, if I'm not interested in changing, I need to question of whether or not I'm a Christian. If I'm, if I'm not about evolving and changing, because we're, we're all in a work in progress. Would you agree with that? We're all working on stuff. We're all needing to work on stuff. And if you can't think of anything, just ask somebody. I'm sure they would love to tell you. But, but, but it's true. We're, we're, we're about growing and mature, maturing. I've been a Christian since 1977. And I've been reading my Bible since I can remember. Uh, and I'll tell you, I have so much growing to do. So much growing to do. So many things that God's still saying, Tim, we need to work on this. 66 and you're still having to work on this. Yeah, we're, we're a work in progress. But he wants us to be a place that's about that not a place that thinks they've arrived. We're still trying to restore New Testament Christianity. We're still after restoring our lives the way God wanted them to be. And then the fifth thing is that he, Jesus wants to save the world. He wants a church that, that's going to save the world. He's going to use us. We're, we are his body. And like he used his physical body to talk to people, to touch people's lives, to heal people, to help people, he wants to use his body his body, which is the church, to do the very same thing. So he's given us a mission. He's given us a mission. I used to, I'd read these passages, and we're going to look at some of them today. And if you really want to get technical, you say, well, that's to the apostles, isn't it? It's just to the, it's just to the disciples, right? It's to every believer. It's to every believer when you stop and think about it. So today what I want to do is I want to spend about just a few minutes here talking about three reasons. There's several, but I want to look at three reasons why missions matter at Greater Alton and why they should matter to you. First one, because Jesus doesn't want any of us to perish. The number one reason that missions ought to matter is because Jesus doesn't want any of us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. I, I've got a passage here I want to show you. I don't think it's on your notes. It's a passage that doesn't get... I've been here since 1985. I've never heard this passage from the pulpit. It's a passage from the church at Thessalonica, and they're told about all these all these different people that have been persecuting them, 
And God says, God is, and Paul says, God is just. He'll repay. He will take, he will take care of and repay what people have done to you when you've been persecuted. And then he says these words in 2 Thessalonians 1.8. I think they're up here on the screen. Am I right? He will come from heaven with burning fire to punish those who do not know God. He'll punish those who do not obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty sobering passage. Just stop and think about this. Jesus is coming back, and when He comes back, He's going to deliver His saints. In fact, if you read on, He says and he's, going to, he's going to reward those, and He's going to come back for those who admire Him, that, that love Him, that believe in Him. But He says, for those that do not know God, that do not obey the gospel, it's not going to be a good day for them. Look at that passage again. Read it yourself. Read it to yourself. I got a question I want to ask you. If you're in this audience, do you really know the Lord? Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does what the Father says. That's what Jesus said. And Paul, this is kind of like the Matthew 7, 21 and the epistles. There's things to obey in the good news in the gospel. Have you obeyed them? Well, I've obeyed something. Yeah, well, is it a tradition from your church? Is it something you like to believe? Or is it really from the scriptures? Is it what Jesus says? Because he's coming back to take vengeance on those that don't know the Lord. They have an acquaintance with God, but they really don't know him. They even do many wonderful works, Jesus said in Matthew 7. He says, I don't know you. And he's going to punish those who do not obey the gospel. There's things to obey in the gospel. Now with that said, Jesus doesn't want to see anybody perish. Look at this passage in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Would you circle anyone? But everyone. There's another great word to circle. To come to repentance. Anyone. I'm looking at this passage all week, and I'm going, anyone. What does that mean? It means anyone. And anyone. You can say this with me. We can all say this when we read this. Anyone includes me. It includes me. I marvel at the idea. Jesus wants to save me. God, you, you don't want me to perish? Are you sure? Do you really know who I am? Because I've said some things, I've done some things, I've thought some things, I've made stupid decisions, and you want me saved? Yes, I want you saved. You don't want me to perish? Don't want me to perish. Thank God that passage is in there, huh? Isn't it awesome that passage is in there? I'm reminded of an old song I used to sing back, way back when I was a kid, and we, and I, I've heard it said, sung many times. It's an old song. It says, I'm happy today. And the sun shines bright. The clouds have been all rolled away. For the Savior said, Whosoever will may come with Him to stay. Whosoever surely meaneth me. Surely meaneth me. Oh, surely meaneth me. Whosoever surely meaneth me. Whosoever meaneth me. Praise God that whoever comes to Jesus and, and trusts Him 
turns from their sin and obeys Him, He will not turn away. But i got to tell you something. I notice, I notice that anyone doesn't just mean me. It includes more than me. It includes everybody. You see, to God, every life matters. I wish I could see that on some shirts. Every life matters. Anyone. Everyone. And there's probably a great example of this is that when you look at the church at Corinth, if you read First and Second Corinthians, you discover this church is a mess. It is a mess. These people are not... If, I guess if you Googled this church, they wouldn't get four stars. I don't know if you've ever done that, but if you Google a church, you know, oh, look at this. And there'd be some comments, these people are selfish. I went there the other day, and hardly anybody spoke to me. One time I come in here, there's supposed to be a meal, and they were already eating it before I got there. How rude. And I heard they're taking... And they're, they're arguing amongst themselves. In fact, they're divided in groups. They, they say they have small groups. These guys are divided in these groups of, well, I think this, and I think this, and I think this. And they argue all the time. They're always getting into it about what, how church ought to be done, how the songs, what songs we ought to have, how long the service ought to be, how Jesus is coming back, how to spend your money. Just imagine. They're getting into it so much. Some people say, well, I follow this guy. I like listening to this podcast. Well, I like this guy. I like this podcast. Well, I follow Jesus. I've got you all beat. That's the kind of church this was. Can you imagine this? Yeah, I can imagine it. It's not hard to imagine it at all. They're not, they're not getting along so much that, well, they're taking each other to court. They're suing each other. And Paul's like, what are you doing? And progressive, oh my goodness, they'll accept anything and anybody. They got a guy sleeping with his mom and they're okay with it. This church is a mess. Churches tend to be messy. They tend to be messy. And yet, Paul addresses the church at Corinth, the very first few verses, the very first few sentences like he would to the church at Philippi, which was his favorite church. He loved, he gushed over that church. He loves Philippi. Well, he says the same thing to Corinth, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Philippi, to the church that's been sanctified and is holy and called out to be, to be like Christ, to the church at Philippi. Just the same kind of greeting. He recognizes these people that just aren't, they're far from perfect as members of the kingdom, the members of his family. Look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 6 on your notes. Surely you know that the people who do wrong will never receive God's kingdom. He says on the heels of, you're doing this to each other. You're, you're not just a bad church. You're bad to each other. You're bad in the community. He says, don't be fooled. These people will not receive God's kingdom. Those who are sexually immoral or worship idols or take part in adultery, or men who have physical relations with other men, or steal, or, or are selfish, or get drunk, or lie about others, or cheat. He's saying these people, they're not going to make it. And then he says this wonderful part. 
in the past, some of you were like that. But now, you are washed clean. You were made holy. You were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. I look at this, and church, I can't help but think, God doesn't want any one of us to perish. He doesn't want you to perish, and He doesn't want, and you fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. You know, uh, I heard a preacher say this one time, just remember, Tim, there's plenty of hypocrisy for everyone. Would you agree with that? There sure is, isn't there? There's plenty of hypocrisy for everyone. Just get a big heaping of it. You, you, there's plenty. Don't worry. You won't use it all up. Somebody else can have more. We're, we're all inconsistent. We're all, we all blow it. We all mess up. But, but that's, you know, the past, we're cleansed from this. Now, we're not perfect, but we're set apart as an example of imperfection becoming like Christ. Imperfection changing. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said. You can be right with God. It doesn't matter what someone else has done, what someone else has said. Anyone. Black or white, rich or poor, doesn't matter. Male or female, Jewish or Palestinian, doesn't matter. Gay or straight, doesn't matter. God, God says, I can wash this stuff away. I can wash some of this stuff. Addicted, drunk, liars, cheaters, swindlers, hiders. Jesus says, the friend of t- tax collectors and sinners says, it, he doesn't want anyone to perish so much that he would die on the cross for that. That's why missions, may ma- that's how much they matter to Jesus and they ought to matter to, to us. We, it matters so much because it mattered to Jesus so much. There's a very familiar passage in John 3. We, we, it's the most popular passage in the Bible I know of that's, that's still quoted today. And yet in the light of what we're talking about, let these words penetrate deeper. For God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son so that anyone who believes, anyone, anyone, you mean even the roughest, toughest, the worstest? Yeah. Well, even people that, 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 are, that are just immoral and, and they lie and they cheat? Yeah. You're talking about Democrats? I'm talking about Republicans and Democrats. And you independents. says He loved so much that anyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See, God doesn't want you to perish and He doesn't want anyone around you to perish. Look what He says here. Whoever comes to Me, I'll certainly not turn away. Why does missions matter? Why do missions matter? Well, because Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish. And neither should you. Number two, because Jesus saved us to save others. You know, you hear stories. I read them all the time. I'm, I'm into these, into the YouTube shorts. I guess it's TikTok's, uh, YouTube's version of TikTok. 
and I'm watching these shorts, and I love the World War II veteran ones, and they talk about all these guys and how they say, and, and, and ladies, how they've saved lives. And I'm always interested in these stories, especially when someone has been saved in the nick of time by a buddy, and then later he saves a bunch of other people. It's like I mentioned a few weeks ago in It's Wonderful Life. You've got Harry Bailey who saves everybody on the transport because George was there to save Harry. And I got to thinking, is that, is, that's a great story when you think about it. what a great theme, what a great idea. And it's, and you see it in the Bible, throughout the Bible. For example, Moses is saved from the crocodiles in the Nile. And, he, and what happens? He saves Israel. You got Joseph, whose older brother Reuben feels bad about what's going on and decides to get him out of the well and save his life, basically. Yeah, he sells him into slavery, but he saves him from dying. And what's Joseph end up doing? He says, all the stuff you meant for bad was meant for good because it saved our family. I was saved to save... He realized that. I was saved to save my family. David, in Psalms 51, he's talking about his sin, the sin that he sinned before God, and he says, and he's confessing it. And one of the lines that strikes me is when he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew that right spirit in me. And it's, then it says this, then I will tell others. Because you're restoring my salvation, because you're saving me, I know I've got to tell other people about this. Daniel's delivered from the lion's den. Esther, the king could have killed her on the spot as, he, as she walked in, interrupting what he was doing. But she is spared. And we know what happened. Those, those, those two things they did. Mary and Joseph, along with their baby Jesus. They escape. It says they escape and go to Egypt. They were saved. Led by an angel. God, God helped them and got them out of town to escape Herod's wrath. And then the, the Apostle Paul, who thought he was doing the right thing, was con- he says to Agrippa in Acts 26, I too was convinced that I should do everything I can to oppose Christianity. Changes. And he's told by Ananias, God has chosen you as his special instrument. What's he saying? He's saving you to save others. You've been chosen. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It's in an interesting translation uh, version of the Bible. Because of what Christ has done, God has brought us back to himself as his friends. Now he wants us to bring other people to be his friends too. That is the job that he's given to us. What's he saying? I think one translation says, he reconciled us and made us to become ministers of reconciliation. See, I'm not, listen church, I'm not saved just to sit. I'm not saved just to sit. I'm, listen, I'm not saved just to study my Bible. Many of you, most of you study your Bibles and you're learning so much from the scriptures and that's awesome. But what's it leading me to do? What's the point of going to a Bible study? What's the point of reading my Bible every day if it's not going to change me? What am I going to do with it? Listen, I'm not saved to be set apart. Listen, the world's a mess. It's broken. It's a cesspool. It's awful. I know it. How many times have you caught yourself sitting around talking like this? Man, I don't know what's going to happen. We may have a civil war in our country. I wonder what's going to happen. You know, Russia's taking over Ukraine. 
and, and now we got this stuff going over in Palestine and Israel. It's, it's, it's the last days. Things are, things are going to, you know, where in a, in a handbasket. I'm, I'm really worried about this. Well, we better get somebody else in the office. We better start voting. We better blah, blah, blah. Is that really the top priority? Is that going to be our top priority? We better get the right guy in the, in the White House? Or get all these people that are so lost and so messed up into God's house. Into His kingdom. Yes, I know. Listen, I know when I was saved, I rem- when, I, when I became a Christian, I'll never forget this. I thought, you know, I've got to be really careful. I don't want the world to pollute me. And I listen, you don't want the world to pollute you. But you can't escape the world. So what are we, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, if, if I was saved and I'm not supposed to be a part of the world, then I should have drowned in that baptistry. But no, I come out, brand new life. What do I do now? Well, you start learning more of the Bible. Yeah, I'm in there. Pray more. Yeah, I'm praying. You know, anybody needs reached? Anybody in your family? Any of your friends? Wouldn't you like to tell them about this? See, I'm not saved to stay away from everybody. Let me say that again. I'm not saved to stay away from everybody. I am saved to save others. I was brought back to God to bring others back to God. See, the Apostle Paul never forgot this. Listen, I know some of us here, we're sidetracked by so many things. I get sidetracked. I'm sidetracked with my busy schedule and stuff. I forget. This is my mission. This is our mission. This is what we're supposed to be about. And Paul never forgot this. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy. After saying he's the worst sinner in the world, he says, I'm the worst. I'm the bottom of the barrel. He writes in Romans, right, he writes in Romans 5, that for a righteous man, someone might possibly dare to die. We just took the Lord's Supper. For a righteous man, someone will possibly dare to die. For a good man, or they, they, it's rarely they die for a righteous man. They talk about it for a good man. Well, what about the bottom of the barrel? Christ demonstrates his love to us by dying for them. His love reaches that deep. You're never out of the reach of God. And he goes on to say to Timothy, after he says, I'm the worst sinner, he says, I was given mercy so that in me Christ could show that he has patience without limit. Well, show it to who? Well, show it to me. Yeah. Oh, you ever think about that? God's so patient with me. But he's also wanting others to see this patience. That's why we have to be genuine and real with our lives. Not have this veneer like we got it all together. People need to see we're a work in progress. People would appreciate that more from Christians. Because it shows the patience of God without limit. And he showed his patience with me, the worst of all sinners. Christ wanted me to be an example for those who would believe in him and have life forever. I've got a passage here I want you to look at. I stumbled across it. It baffled me for a long time. Um, I never thought I'd use this passage. You think about the, you think about this, church. The Bible begins with the world being wrecked. And here in Revelation chapter 22, you see it beginning to end 
with redemption. It's trying to give us hope here. Look what it says here in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. I'm going to stop right there. The Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. Who is the bride? I know who the Holy Spirit is, and a lot of, a lot of people believe the Holy Spirit, when it's speaking here, it's really Jesus speaking, because he's speaking throughout the whole book of Revelation. But let's just leave it as it is. The Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. Who is the bride? It's the church. It's the church. Notice that the that, that God and His church have the same message. He doesn't say, the Holy Spirit says, come, and the church says, maybe. No, it says, they both say, come. They both agree. And the person who hears should say, come. Who's the person that hears the invitation? Would that be me? Would that be you? Would that be us? Sure sounds like it. Anyone who's thirsty should come. Anyone who wants to take the free gift of the water of life should do so. What a powerful passage here. Where we see, we see God and His people, His bride, His church, both are in agreement of the same message to give to the world. It's, think about this. I heard come and now I'm going to, I'm going to start saying come. Uh, years ago, um, we were talking about inviting a lot and, and, um, and I, and it went across my mind. I heard someone say this across my mind. Well, inviting is not sharing your faith. And it's, you might say it doesn't, doesn't sound like it's sharing your faith. Let me tell you, it's showing your faith. And in a way, you are sharing your faith. When you share the same message you got with someone else, you see, I'm invited to invite. I've been found by Christ to find others for Christ. And I just want to encourage church, listen, I want your salvation, your personal story to motivate you, especially during the Christmas season, to motivate you to be to realize I'm saved to save others. And, and take that mission seriously. Here's the third reason it matters to Jesus and missions should matter to me because Jesus sends us to save others. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago. I want to look at it again. It says in Romans, Paul says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved, one of the most awesome promises in Scripture. Would you agree? But how shall they ask Him to save Him unless they believe in Him? They really can't call on Him to save Him if they don't trust Him and turn from their sins and obey Him. How can they do that unless they believe Him? And it says, and how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? He says, it's a problem. You're one of those people that says, what about people in the deepest, darkest jungles that never heard Jesus? Are they going to be saved? Are they going to be lost? Well, it must be a problem if they haven't heard the Gospel. And by the way, I'm not in the deepest, darkest jungles of wherever. I'm in St. Louis metropolitan area. Not a jungle for hundreds of miles. But there's people that haven't heard about Jesus. And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? Somebody's got to tell them. Who's that going to be? He says, and how will anyone go and tell them unless someone sends them? Who's willing to be sent? You want to Google this guy. His name is David Carnes. He's a 
Marine sergeant that uh, was out of the Marines for two years, and he gives a testimony. And if you would like to have that link, I will send it to you. I have it on my phone. Just text me and I'll send it to you. And he describes what happened on 9-11. He was in Connecticut, been out of the Marines for two years, and his wife calls him up and says, Honey, a plane has just hit one of the trade towers. And he goes, Really? That don't sound right. Something doesn't sound... And she goes, you're not going to believe this. An airline, a, a big jet just hit the other one. And he turns to his other, his buddy, who's a, a former Marine, and says, we're at war. And he says, we need to go down there. And he's, he's in Connecticut, and he decides, he and his buddy decide they're going to go down there. And he's been out of the Marines two years. And he, and he says this in his testimony, God prepared me for 9-11. God got me ready for 9-11. And so on their way down, he's traveling 131 miles an hour at speed, that high speed. He said, what was he driving? His Porsche. And he's going as fast as he can to get down to ground zero. And as he's driving along, he, st- he goes, oh, we need to stop. and We need to get a, a Marine cut. They go in the barbershop, give us the cut real quick. They get in their fatigues. They got, they got the full, their full, their old uniforms. They get down there. The police see them. They're figuring if they didn't go down their fatigues, the police would stop them. But the police go, keep going, keep going, keep going. They get out, they work their way down to ground zero, and the dust is still settling. Fire is everywhere. Sirens, people covered. We all know what that was like. We saw that on TV. And as he's walking toward the towers, getting closer and closer to the to the towers, someone says, listen, man, we've, we've looked, there's nothing out there. And if you go in there, if you go in there, you're going to die. You do what you want. He says, we're going in there. So him and his buddy go in there. And they're walking around. And it's a disaster. It's hell on earth. If you could just imagine. And then they hear somebody tapping on something. And as his buddy watches him, he crawls down in this heated, molten mess and finds two men. He says, I asked God before I went, Lord, would you help me help somebody today? I think it's interesting that that, uh, David Carnes had given his life to Christ just two months earlier. In other words, he was found by Jesus and he finds two men. He says, I can't explain it. It's almost like God led us right to these people. It, uh, I think there's, they're making a movie or there's some kind of a thing called, it's called Heaven Sent Rescue. Heaven Sent Rescue. I couldn't help but think about you and I are heaven sent. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. You are heaven sent. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We have, been, we have been sent to speak for Christ. You say, well, that's, that's the apostles. Well, he says we to the Corinthian church. You say, well, that's in the context of him and the rest of the apostles. I'm not so sure about that church. I think he's saying every believer, we have been sent to speak for Christ. See, there is no saving without sending, without someone going. I mean, just think about it. Who was sent to reach you? When did that happen? And for some of us here, 
I'll speak for myself. For some of us that are very stubborn, God had to send more than one. He had to send several people. I remember meeting my wife at, I didn't, she wasn't my wife at the time, at the county fair. And then we ended up going to, I ended up going to church with her. And all these people acted like they knew me. They were all involved together. Denise had said something to him earlier. Listen, I'm bringing my boyfriend. Don't embarrass me. Good luck. I just remember one, wow, these guys are, they, they love the Lord and they love the Word. And they, they, they put up with me. Wow. I, did, I wasn't expecting that. But think about how you were reached. Where was it exactly? Was it at a restaurant? Was it in a parking lot? Was it on a college campus? How, who was it? Somebody was sent. Somebody was sent for you. Somebody was sent for me. And he wants to send me. He wants to send you to someone else. I've got to be willing to go. See, you and I... If you're a Christian, you know this is true. Down deep in your heart, you know you weren't saved by coincidence. It wasn't luck. It was a plan. Heaven sent. A heavenly plan. I think about Acts 8. And you got a guy who is studying his Bible on his way back from worshiping. And he happens to be reading a certain passage. And God at the same time is sends a man named Philip who really had, things were going, he was busy, he was already busy, interrupts his schedule, interrupts his plan, says, I want you to go to this place in the middle of nowhere. What's there? Well, you're going to see a guy reading his Bible. I think it's interesting that Philip is running around next to that chariot and he's the one that speaks up. Whether he's tired of running or he thought, we got to get, get this going, whatever it be, He's the one that initiates the conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? What I want you to think about is, is this idea that it's not coincidental. God's still got a plan. Acts, Acts 8 moments are still happening. And God wants to send you. In a way, you've got to stop believing some lies for that to take place. Like What? What are you talking about, Tim? I said, we've got to stop believing the lie that nobody wants to hear the gospel anymore. We've got to stop believing the lie that our church isn't, isn't a place that people can be saved. We've got to stop believing I'm too busy. That's a lie. Thank God somebody that, w- that was, did not believe that lie let God send them into my life. I got, I've, got to, I've got to quit believing this lie that says, I'll offend somebody if I speak. Well, it is a stumbling block. It is offensive. The gospel is offensive. But I can't let this... But it doesn't offensive to everybody. Some people want to hear what God has to say. 
See, I've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. I've got to stop, I've got to stop believing that it's, it's too broken and nothing can be fixed anymore. Or that person won't, they're not interested. You don't know. See, right now, right, and you know this is true, right now somebody's in their Bible. Somebody right now is looking to God for some help, trying to get some answers. Right now, somebody is, you know, they're going to church, they don't know what's the next step. Or they don't even know where to start. And so they just call out, and they're waiting for God to respond. And you are the answer to their prayer. You, your response is the answer to their prayer. I remember uh, Debbie Weiler saying this to me one time. She said she was in a study with somebody and she's what a marvelous way to say this. She goes, I think about I'm studying with this person and I, I'm trying to explain to them that this isn't coincidental, that God is rewarding her because she's seeking him. Did the Bible say that, that God earnestly rewards those who seek him? And because she says to this person, because you're in your Bible, because you're looking to God, because you opened your heart, God has sent me here. That God's, God's doing stuff. That I'm, you asked Debbie, Debbie, a, a month or two before, you're going to be in a study? I am. I don't know. When's this, where's, where's this coming? When's it coming? When's this happening? In other words, we don't even have an idea. All we know is it's going to happen. It's God's plan. And will I cooperate with God's plan? Look at the Bible says here in John 20. My Father sent me. Now I am sending you in the same way. See, Jesus not only calls me to Him, but He calls me to go for Him. He says, I'm sending you the same way as I came. This isn't complicated, church. I know some of us here are frightened to death to speak to somebody. We're frightened to death to invite somebody. But, you know, we just need to trust the Lord and just nudge ourselves into some bravery here and some boldness. And just speak up. You'd be surprised how many folks are going to listen. Here's a passage we've said many times. Look what it says here. Therefore, and I love this particular translation. Jesus said, Therefore, as you go, disciple people in all, in all nations baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching him to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. He says, as you go. That's what that really means. All these other translations say, go into all the world. It literally means, as you go. He says in John 17, in the same way you gave me a mission in this world, I give you a mission in the world. And, and the early church took that seriously. Look what it says. Wherever the believers were scattered, they told the good news. See, the Great Commission still on. It matters to God. It should matter here. It should matter to you. You and I are part of that Great Commission. It's, it's, it's like a great commandment, but it's a great commission with it. And the question is, will I obey it? Because, see, I'm a missionary. The Latin word for missionary it means, simply means a person on a mission. And you're all, you and I are all missionaries here in this world. The question is, will I accept it? Let me give you another verse here that's not, it's never, I've never heard it from a pulpit anywhere in my lifetime. This is in Ezekiel 3. 
God is telling Ezekiel he wants him to go deliver Israel. And he says, if I say these evil people will die, then you must warn them. You must tell them to change their lives and stop doing evil. If you don't warn them, they will die because they sinned. But also make you responsible for their death because you did not go to them and save their lives. My question is this, simply. Where are you going for Him? Where are you going for Him? Because wherever you go, I want to encourage you to go for Him. Go for the Lord. That means a milk run is not a milk run. There's more to it than dropping off at Walmart and picking up some stuff. Or the, or the dentist's office or the doctor's appointment. There's more going on there than just going to the doctor or the dentist. And if you're in a soccer field and you're on a soccer game and you're watching a soccer game, there's more going on. You're there for much more than just to watch some soccer or basketball or some football. We have to be ready. Church, listen to me. We have to be ready. You need to be ready when the Holy Spirit nudges you to go and say, go. Come over here. Will you respond to that? Will you let the Holy Spirit nudge you to speak up? Because missions mean this much. Because Jesus doesn't want any of us to perish. And He, and he saved us and sends us to save others. There's a card in your bulletin. And I just want to make give you an opportunity. Maybe you want to fill something out in that card. Maybe make a commitment. You know, I'm, I want to be, I want to be on board with this. I want to accept my mission. Or these things are keeping me from accepting my mission. Pray for me to see my mission, to see opportunities, and let God use me. Or maybe you simply want to say, thank you, Lord, for, for sparing my life. I'm saved because of all the people in the past, and now you're expecting me. You're, you're wanting me. It's my turn, and Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that turn. Or maybe you've got something you just want some people to pray about. Man, put it down in this card. We're going to pray here and then give you opportunity to do that as we sing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I just pray that, that this is the simple message of, of evangelism, this, the idea of missions, Father, that you want, us, you, you want us to worship. You want us to be a family. You want us to serve. You want us to grow. And Father, you want us to also accept our mission and to serve. Help us, help us accept it like your son did. Help us see that you don't want anyone to perish. You want everyone saved. Let our salvation motivate us to share the gospel with someone else. Thank you for saving us, Father. And we pray we won't be selfish with our salvation. And Father, um, Open our eyes to the open doors before us. We praise you. We thank you. You're awesome. And it's the name of Jesus we pray this prayer. Amen. All that I am, all that I have, I lay them down before you, O Lord, all my regrets, all
Sad. 